You know, we are in this series on the I Am statements of Jesus, and they're going to carry us through Advent, all the way to Christmas, and Christmas Eve even, in a way that's a little different. But they have powerful messages, these, these statements, these sermons, I believe, uh, to us about Christ. And I have often wondered, in, as I prepared this, if I had been there listening to Jesus make these statements, how would I have responded? How do you think you would have responded? He was essentially saying, I'm God. He was, he was, he was making these statements in, in, in the Israelite context, clearly, in, in reference so much to the Old Testament, so that people would have absolutely no question in understanding what he was saying. How would you have responded if you had been there? You know, uh, some people called him demon-possessed. Some people thought he was just out of his mind. <laughs> Even his own family, <laughs> you know, came to take him away because they were so concerned about him. Um, what do you think you would have done? What would you have thought? Either he's crazy or possessed, or maybe what he's saying is right. I mean, you can choose either one, and if you choose to believe what he has to say, you actually want to align yourself with him. You would probably then want to follow him. You would want to have this relationship with him. Um, and embrace life with Jesus. And I would suggest that's what this series is about. It's no different today. We have to grapple with what Jesus said. We have to ask ourselves the question, do I believe it or not? Well, today is, uh, is another one that I want to suggest to you is, uh, is quite shocking. <laughs> when you really think about it. I would suggest all of them are, but from our perspective, some of the others that we have looked at, uh, could be considered mild. Now, again, the Jewish people in Jesus' day didn't consider them mild, but, you know, um, Jesus being the shepherd, and we have a great display here that will be growing of our various uh, elements, the shepherd and his, and his, his uh, staff. Um, the vine we talked about last week, the gate. Eh, yeah, that's nice. But Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Like, that's, that's calling a spade a spade. <laughs> that's putting it out there in a way that is, 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 is stunning when you take it for reality and you grapple with it. I want you to take it for reality and I want you to grapple with it today. You know, the story comes to us in, in John 11. It's the story about the raising of Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, three siblings, are great friends of Jesus. He would go to Bethany. He was welcome in their home. It seems that this was a place where, where he would go uh, to enjoy that friendship and that care. He didn't have a home otherwise, but he knew he, he had a welcome in that, in that instance, in that place. Um, and he loved these people. It says it clearly in this text. Lazarus becomes ill. He is deathly ill. They are really concerned about him, and they do what would be absolutely natural for them. They send message to Jesus that he would come because they know Jesus can heal. He, they had seen him heal. This was not a, a, a secret. I mean, he had healed in powerful and dramatic ways. Why wouldn't he come and then just heal Lazarus, but he doesn't come? And in many ways, this is an odd passage um, because of, uh, of what comes to us in verses 5 and 6. Let me read them to you. Uh, the, the invitation to come had already been given. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was stick, sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And I've dwelt on that verse. So when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed. 
So when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed. <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? He loved this man. He loved these women. He was really connected with them. And he heard of the incredible pressing need. And he stayed. And he stayed for two reasons, the text tells us. We're not going to read it all in its entirety. I did preach on this about a month or two ago. But he says very clearly he stayed for two reasons. One was that God would be glorified and the other is that people would believe in him. Ultimately, that they would believe that he was the son of God, divinity walking around on planet Earth. All days later, Lazarus dies and Jesus then goes. Four days he's been in the tomb, he's told, when he arrives. And he meets Martha, first of all. I'm going to read the Martha encounter with you, verses 17 to 27. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary, Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again on the, uh, in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Now, there are two dramatic claims in this verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The first one is that Jesus claims to be the resurrection. Now, in the day, there was a debate about whether, resur theological debate about whether resurrection was something that would actually take place. The Pharisees, in this instance, are in the good books. They believed that resurrection would would happen someday, that God in his power would come and he would raise the dead. The Sadducees, another sect of Judaism, did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe that miracles took place. They didn't necessarily believe that God intervened in time and space. In many ways, they would be what we would call more liberal theologically in our context. Um, but in this instance, uh, when asked, Martha gets it right. She's on the right side of this question. She's theologically accurate. Her response is good. I believe in the, in the resurrection in the last days, she says. And to her comment, Jesus responds with, and we'll take it section by section, with these words, I am the resurrection. You don't need to wait for a, a day far off in time when God will come in power and raise the dead. You know, for God to come and exert his power in time and space. You don't have to wait for that far-off day when the dead will be raised. God is standing in front of you. He's saying to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Jesus is saying, it's my capacity that I'm going to exercise. And I'm going to raise your brother from death. I'm going to give him life. See, Jesus is saying death is a reality. It happens. It happens. But I'm more powerful than death. I am, he said. I, have, I, I will overcome it. I will defeat it. I will ultimately destroy it. All ver uh, words that come from the New Testament about what Jesus did in his resurrection. See, he's saying death is nothing to me. 
death will have no power over me and it will not have any power over those who die in me. He's saying your brother will rise again. But of course, Martha's really not in the same wavelength as Jesus. She's not connecting with him in several instances in the text. Jesus is saying, I'm going to do it now. She doesn't know. So that you will see the glory of God. So that you'll end up with that wow factor. So that you will believe deep in your heart that I am who I say I am. And then the second statement here is that I am not only the resurrection, I am the life. That's where the second part of, or the latter part of this verse comes into play. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives in and believes in me will never die. (laughs) Who says something like that? You know, if you believe in me, you will never die. See, Jesus is saying, yes, I'm God. And of course, we, from this perspective, this side of the cross, know what he did on the cross to provide spiritual life for us and eternal life for us. And while physical death is experienced, there is never an interruption of life for those who trust in me. It doesn't stop at all. It will never cease for those who believe in me, ever. But will simply be a means through which we travel from our life here to instantly life eternal with God in heaven. Align yourself with me. Believe in me, Jesus says. Trust me and you will never die. Do you see how this is, this is a statement that only God can make? The Bible tells us God is the one who gives life and God is one who takes it away. Jesus is claiming divinity. And it's shocking and it's stunning. But Martha doesn't quite get it. Well, then they go to the tomb. Verse 38. We're going to read from 38 to 39. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. He had wept. He saw his friend suffering. And he was deeply moved. He came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. (laughs) See, Martha's thinking in completely naturalistic uh, ways. She's, 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 She's not in lockstep with Jesus. She's not really understanding what Jesus is about or his intention. Verse 40 to 44. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe... You will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. See, the question posed by this text to the people there and to us now is really, really simple. Is Jesus who he said he was? I want to suggest to you in the actual raising of Lazarus, he proved to everyone in that day and to us that indeed he was who he said he was. And of course, he proved it in his resurrection. 
He proved it in, in, in coming back to life. I'm, I, I'm going to read a verse, and I didn't ha- have this projected, but I want to read to you John 10, 18. This is, was something absolutely new, new to me. But who raised Jesus from the dead? Jesus speaking, speaking, no one takes it from me, his life, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This is the command I received from my father. Jesus, the sovereign Lord, raised himself from the dead. It's powerful. You know, at Advent, as we are now beginning to celebrate, we look forward to the coming of Jesus in Bethlehem, don't we? We're anticipating, again, the coming of Christ and the remarkable reality that that was. It's significant. You know, the Gospels give lots of airplay to Jesus' birth. Matthew, you know, the, the chapter 1 and 2. And then in Luke, there are even more chapters about the birth of Jesus. But you know, in John, there's no birth narrative. It's not there. Um, what is there is John 1, 1 to 4. This is, this is what John writes about the reality of the coming of Jesus. This is what John writes about the identity of Jesus. You see, this is his thesis statement for the whole book which is all about who Jesus was. Let me read it to you, John 1, 1 4. In the beginning was the Word. That's a reference to Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that light, life was the light of all mankind. Stunning. <laughs> little baby lying in a manger in Bethlehem, in poverty, with two shamed parents by many in a cattle trough come to earth who came to earth the one who created all things that have been made you know some say Jesus was only a good man some say he was just not only but just a brilliant moral teacher Some say that Jesus was one loved by God more than any other. Some say that he was an example and is now for us to live by. But they reject the idea of Jesus as God. These being those at times who claim to be Christian. You see, they're the Sadducees of the day. No, God doesn't intervene in time and space. That doesn't happen, never has, never will. It's an assumption they bring to the text. It's not what they gain from the text. What I'm preaching to you is what we gain from the text. Because you see, the, the text is absolutely clear. Some say Jesus isn't God, just a good man. The text says God, Jesus was God in the flesh, divinity walking around on planet Earth. I'm going to ask you today what this text and what these other texts about the I am statements of Jesus are asking. What is your response to the claims of Jesus. You see, this, this season is significant. This anticipation of Jesus' birth is significant. The day itself is significant because of who was born in Bethlehem. And what the Bible tells us that he was the eternal God become human. 
God Almighty humbling himself to take the form of an infant child both in utero and post-birth. God come to do what we were incapable of doing. Israel, if you remember a, a week or two ago, having failed to do what God created it to do, he came to do that. He came to do what we weren't able to do, like overcome death and raise ourselves to life. Jesus came to give us life that never ends. Jesus came that it would be possible that we would never die. My friends, if you embrace this, what does that mean to you? I want to suggest this is, this is life-changing stuff. Let me go to the beginning of the story. Jesus, Jesus, my friends, is master of all human problems. If he can deal with death, he can deal with anything. Is he in your life? Is he your Lord? Do you believe in him as he asked us to believe? Is he with you as he was with Martha and with Mary? You know, whatever we experience, whenever we live in the Mary-Martha scenario, if you would, you know, trouble in our lives, broken hearts for whatever reason, even in the face of death, that of our own or of someone else, do we believe that he can deal with it and that he will? Maybe he's not going to deal with it in the way that we want or in the timing that we would desire. But the passage is absolutely clear. Jesus allows suffering so God will be glorified in our lives. That's a hard one sometimes for us to accept. But Jesus allowed suffering in the lives of Mary and Martha so that there came a moment in their experience where they saw their brother walk out of the tomb four days dead, And they just must have been amazed at the power of Jesus. You know, we can ask Jesus to do what we want um, in prayer. And we can want it right away. When we're struggling, when we're hurting, when we're in desperate need. And we need to remember that when he heard, he stayed. When he heard, he stayed. He just Jesus doesn't always answer us in the timing that we desire for him to. He doesn't answer us in the way that we want. But my friends, when we suffer, <laughs> when Jesus seems distant to us, when he doesn't answer our prayers as we would like him to, what this text tells us, is in a sense the Lord is just saying very, very simply, just wait. Just wait. For God has something incredible in front of you. Even with the reality of death, just wait. Because I am resurrection. And I am life. I will raise the dead at the time of my choosing, Jesus said. And in me, you will never die. It's stunning that anyone would say that. 
But of course, it's God speaking. And it is Jesus having the right to say such a thing. So in your brokenness, in your heartache, in your challenges when things seem dark and hopeless, have hope. There is never a moment in our lives when we are without hope. Ever. Because Jesus is who he said he was, and if we believe in him, he is with us. And he has an answer. Here's another application that I would have you think about. Forgive me for being a little shocking. I think Jesus was. Why can't I? You're going to die. I'm going to die. Unless Jesus comes again, the second coming happens, which the Bible tells us will happen at some day. He'll come in power and in glory with the angels and with the martyrs, and all the world will see who Christ is. But failing that, we will die. That's a reality people don't want to think about. That's a reality that people try to ignore so often, even as Christian people. But in that light, the critical question of our lives is this. Who is Jesus? And do I believe in him? And do I trust him? Even in the face of death. See, Jesus is simply saying, I have overcome death. I have overcome its power. And if you die believing in me, you will be raised to new life. And as a matter of fact, you're never actually going to die. You're never going to cease being, ever. It's like this. You go from one life to the next, but your spirit lives on. And the question is, in the depth of your heart, do you believe it? Do you believe? Because if you do, you don't have to fear death. Don't be afraid of it. Approach it with confidence. Listen to me. Approach it with great anticipation because in a moment, you're going to see the glory of God. Can you imagine? Why, why do we run from it? Why do we fear it? Why, you know, none of us wants to die. None of us wants to go through the process of dying. But just on the other side of it, instantly, glory, power, beauty, wonder, majesty, incredible love. Believe in Jesus. And approach death when it comes in faith in Jesus, confidence in Jesus, anticipation of what he has for you. And I guess secondly, I would say in this light, there may be people listening to me who don't believe in Jesus in the way that Jesus is asking Mary and Martha to believe in him. You know, Martha had the accurate theological statements. I didn't read about Mary, but she didn't make the same argument. She didn't say much at all. That's the same question, but I think in an entirely different way. What we see, what's noteworthy of the text is she just comes and she falls at the feet of Jesus. She worships him as God. 
Here's what I want to tell you today, my friends. If you are not believing or if you're not there yet, Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, has risen from the dead. He lives, and by his Spirit, he is with you right now in this moment of time. And he says to you, believe in me and trust me. You know, that's the most critical question that all of us need to answer. Because of what stands in the balance. And everything that I've spoken today is what hangs in the balance. And I want to conclude simply by saying to those people who may be considering putting their entire trust in Jesus, um, He loves you. He has died for you. He has been raised to new life so that he might be your Savior and Lord. He took your sin to himself on the cross and this transfer took place. Our sin on him, his righteousness on us. We are forgiven and we have this glorious future to anticipate for eternity because the Son of God died on a cross for you. So my friends, what do you believe about Jesus? Uh, crazy man? Demon-possessed? Just a good man who lived a good life and leaves as an example to follow as one who loved God more than any other? Or do you believe in your heart of hearts that he is the living son of God? The one who can raise you a new life, the one who will keep you from actual death. See, it says in this same book, John, I'm just looking at it now, uh, John 1.12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. And all we need to do, my friends, is trust him. It, it, it's faith. And you can exercise that faith by saying, Lord Jesus, I come, I've come to a place in my life where I do believe in you and I pray that my sin might be forgiven by your shed blood and I pray, Lord, that you will come and you will dwell in me by your Holy Spirit and from this day forward, I want to be your follower. I'm not going to reject you. I'm not going to think of you as crazy. I'm not going to think of you as demon-possessed. I'm going to follow you as God. That's your option, every single one of us here. And if you haven't, come to that place I encourage you to the most critical question of your life is what do I believe about Jesus and then what will I do with it let's pray Lord it's understandable that Pharisees and Sadducees and others heard the things that you spoke and just thought that uh, this is ridiculous. How can a man claim to be God? Father, there are people in this world today who look at the claim and think it's ridiculous because how can a man claim to be God? Yet, Lord, there are some of us who have come to this place where we have not only read the texts and come to a place of understanding, we have had the work of your spirit within, calling us, wooing us to faith, opening our eyes to see what we couldn't see, enabling us to believe and to receive 
and as such to become children of God. Lord, I, I just pray for those people who are considering that reality, inviting you into their lives, choosing to follow you with their whole being. I pray, Lord, that they will embrace this faith and live it out. And Lord, for all of us, as death someday comes, help us to remember these words. I am the resurrection and the life. Help us to approach that time in confidence and in great anticipation for what is yet to come. Sir God, we pray in the name of Jesus.